B2B influencer marketing. Two things that probably only until recently you wouldn't have put in the same sentence. You know, when you think of the term influencers, when you think of the term influencer marketing, you probably think about Instagram models promoting skincare products and toothpaste on their profiles. You probably think about TikTokers dancing and inserting random product placements. Or you think of big name podcasters like Joe Rogan promoting supplements and inserting uh, you know podcast ads. But what you probably don't think about is B2B influencers promoting B2B software products. And you probably don't think about it because it's something that really is still very much in its infancy. Which is why for today's episode, I wanted to bring on someone who is a true pioneer in this space. Someone that himself has already worked with dozens of B2B brands as a B2B influencer. That person, Evan Patterson. I can tell you there's really not a whole lot different in the strategy of like, like what I'm doing, you know, I'm inserting this into content that is on brand for me. And you, you partner with brands that are on brand for you. If you look at an influence marketer on LinkedIn or those Instagram models, so to speak, <laughs> you know, the, the ones that are doing it right are partnering with brands that make sense for them to partner with. The ones that aren't doing it right are partnering with the ones that it clearly seems forced, you know? From tips and tricks on how to become a B2B influencer, all the way through to how to build out your influencer network as a brand, in this episode and in this conversation, Evan lays out the roadmap for what B2B influencer marketing looks like, both from a brand perspective, but also an individual's perspective. Honestly, this is not a conversation to be missed. And it's, it's one that I think going into 2022 is a super, super, super important lesson. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so Evan, a place where I want to start today's conversation uh, is, is a topic that I think has been quite popular, I'd say on LinkedIn over the last few months. And it's this kind of conversation around B2B influence marketing and immediately i think when you hear that you think of instagram models you know when you hear the phrase <laughs> influence marketing yeah. you immediately think instagram models promoting toothpaste on on instagram so like what you know what is what is b2b influence marketing is it exactly the same as what you think in the b2c world talk us through that uh, in my opinion, it's not that much different. I wouldn't say it's exactly the same, but it's it's pretty freaking close. <laughs> um, you know, as somebody who myself like makes a living with this with brand deals, just the way influencer mm. marketing does, I can tell you there's really not a whole lot different in the strategy of like like what I'm doing, you know, I'm inserting this into content that is on brand for me. And you, you partner with brands that are on brand for you. If you look at an influence marketer on LinkedIn or those Instagram models, so to speak, <laughs> you know, the, the ones that are doing it right are partnering with brands that make sense for them to partner with the ones that aren't doing it right. are partnering with the ones that it clearly seems forced, you know, that logic still carries very true over to B2B. You know, the only thing that really changed is perhaps how the influencer themselves gets paid. Um, in B2C, there's usually like a flat rate. 
There, um, yeah. there might also be, in addition to that, like some sort of commissions, like a link of a code. Sometimes that's the only way they're making money off of it. it it's more like we're influencer marketing and affiliate marketing kind of have yeah, a love child, yeah. really, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in B2B, it's, in my experience, it might be different for others, but uh, it's been mostly like flat rates. Um, it's, it's not typically a commission-based, here's a link of a code, you know, it's usually... We're gonna pay you X dollars to post. Mm. I, I mean, are you? Because obviously, yourself, you are a you know very popular sales influencer in that space. Like, are you? Is that how, how do you structure it with your own kind of you know clients and deals? Is it is it a kind of monthly monthly rate? Is it a set rate? How does it work? I usually do a set rate per post. Um, mm -hmm. If it's a brand that I want to work with regularly, I'll we'll, we'll come up with like. A monthly rate but usually it's per post if you think about it that way even then because it's just like it's x number of posts in exchange for y number of dollars you know what i mean it's, yeah 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 it, it, at the end of the day it comes down to a certain number of dollars for the post mm. how many like you obviously know like the i guess like the sales tech martech space really well like i guess like over and i don't know how long you have been a you know a sales influencer for for these some of these companies but like are you have you seen like over the last 12 months there's been a real spike in the number of companies that are trying to bring on these influencers because i've i've seen the role of like you know evangelist that type of role really climb in the last like just six months i mean is it is it have you started to feel that as well yeah i think it's it, it's definitely become more operationalized i would say um in, in recent months uh, and, and using the months term quite literally uh, but companies, have, it's not new information to no. companies that like yeah. having a mascot, you know, or like Steve Jobs is Apple's mascot. He could have been the janitor for all they care, but he made a great mascot. Even if he didn't do anything for the business, I do not know how much Steve Jobs actually did yeah. anything at Apple, yeah. but I do know like he was a great mascot, right? At the end of the day, which is just an influencer. Does Mickey Mouse is an imaginary influencer, quite literally, if you think of it that way, you know? Um, so I think like the, they've all, the concept was never unheard of. It was just like not operationalized because then you have like companies like Chili Piper and Gong that like they've got employees that are very well known and their names have become synonymous with the companies they work for that in itself is influencer marketing um it's just it's just not in the way that we see it on youtube you know and twitter and instagram you know so i think the fact that it's going to a part where they're operationalizing it and they're seeking these influencers or they're looking for influencers as a criteria to get the job you know like follower counts are becoming job requirements it's crazy you know yeah. like like, I think it's become more operationalized. It's, I don't think it's new, but I think it's like, oh shit, we can tap into this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you, that, that brings me nicely onto the kind of next point. And it's, it's something that I've been thinking about for a while now. If you're in a company, let's say, where the CEO is not really up for creating content himself, there's no one really in the business that's up for creating content or becoming like that, like influencer do you think you can bring in someone completely external that can kind of be the brand face or do you, I, cause I, I kind of see that as a bit of a, I, I'm going to use the word risk, right? Like it's like, you're almost bringing in this external person. That's going to be your brand face. That's like who people know you for. I guess if you are bringing in an external person, how do you make sure that, that it's the right kind of fit and they don't go too off key. 
Yeah, you know, that makes total sense. If you're going to go with the external route, usually this is smaller companies that are yeah. doing this, right? Like, If you have 100 employees and still no one's creating content, you're hiring the wrong people. <laughs> but like, yeah. you really need to find some people. Like, yeah. you really need to change your hiring strategy. <laughs> but if you're a smaller company, early stage startup, which is my space, right? Um, I think the best way is really, it's not so much about like the, who you sign up with, like who you sign up to do this with. It's more about like how you go about finding those people, you know, start with the fans and the users of your product. Like the people that are like, Hey, can you give us some feedback? Cause will you love our tool? And they say yes. And then they talk to you for free. They do stuff with you for free. Like have them like trick them into proving that they really do love your product. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And then if they also happen to have a large following like at that point it's a no-brainer like hey you clearly love our product we we love asking you about why you love our product like we'd like to partner with you like that's it, it's more about the how you go about sourcing it um because that way it'll just happen it, it'll just make sense oh, it's not a science mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah no I, I agree i've one of my clients they've got this 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 one customer that just raves about them in literally every single like conversation online case study it, it, it's like everywhere they're raving about them and they've now become like a, a bit of a brand ambassador for them uh and it's yeah even if you're just, just paying them a couple hundred bucks a month to like just hit like every once in a while <laughs> comment once in a while and then like once a quarter, they're expected to make a post. Do you know what I mean? Like for a couple hundred bucks a month to do 30 minutes of work a month. Mm. It's a great Makes ROI sense. for both oh, yeah. people. No, of course. When do you though, you know, let's say you've been, you've, you've got a customer, you've got, a, you know, one of your customers that, that is that like, they rave about you all the time. They do a few posts, you know, yeah. it's that kind of, kind of part-time type relationship where they, they do a bit for you. Uh, and you kind of give them a back, give them a bit back for it. Like, when do you turn that into, I guess, like a, or when do you know when to turn that into like a full time kind of relationship where they literally become like the brand face or like the brand evangelist, if you like, when do you turn it into that like proper full role and how do you know when to yeah we gotta keep in mind too we say full role it's not always full time right yeah, like i do yeah, this I'm, for other companies yeah, and it's mm -hmm. like an hour a month at most mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah that's fair enough yeah. yeah 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 so i don't i don't know many people that are doing this full time in the b2b space i can see that definitely becoming a thing um, yeah, to be fair, like a solopreneur or an entrepreneur is probably doing these things by default as a way to get their brain out there. Like, you know, I, I do consulting and advising. How do I get the gigs from the influencer marketing? Typically, how do the influencer marketing by doing some free stuff or just being mm. really good at my primary yeah, salary yeah, yeah. job? It's like a domino effect. So there really isn't like a, a turning point. It's it's also complicated because if you're working with this person, right, and this person is a customer. And in the world of B2B, we have a scenario that does not exist in B2C, which is, am I going to pay this person a dollars or am I just going to give them and their company some sort of concessions? Like, let me give them a discount, reduce seat pricing in the world of SaaS, right? And then there's the other um, scenario, depending on their product and their company, it might just make more sense to do co-marketing, you mm -hmm. know, where it's like mm -hmm. brand capital is the payment, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, and it's, I'm still struggling with this to this day of like, when, when does it cross into the next bucket? And also when is it in more than one bucket? And also, am I partnering with this person or am I partnering with their company? And, uh, and like, maybe I like this person a lot, but maybe I, as a business, I'm going to get more ROI by partnering with this person plus their employer. So it might make sense for me to pay them in the form of concessions. But then yeah. I also have to think future forward is if this mm. person leaves this company and I want to <laughs> keep them, mm. do I want to start paying them now to keep that relationship? Mm. So it is, it's trickier for business to business influencer marketing because you have to plan for the now and there's more, there's more moving parts. You also have to plan for the future and there's more moving parts where in B2C, it's just, it's you and this person and that's it. Mm. How, how, I mean, I was going to, I'm going to come on to like the, the more of the internal side as well, like the kind of those internal influences that you're talking about, I guess yeah. again, but staying on that external point for a minute, how many, and look, <laughs> context here it'll be different for every it'll be different for every business but like dramatically different yes yeah but i guess my what i was gonna say is how how many external influencers should you just be trying to just kind of bring on one external influencer at first or should it kind of should you really approach it as like a let's get as many as we can on board type thing I think it should really depend on your bandwidth and also your familiarity with the strategy because it, it's a lot of lift at the beginning, right? It's it's kind of like your podcast host. Anybody who does podcasts oh, will relate yeah. to this too. Mm. Sourcing guests is a is a B word. It's it's difficult. <laughs> it takes a lot of work, right? Yeah. It's um, mm. right. Recruiters, same problem. You're you're honestly you're recruiting. That's really what you're doing. So it's i i always say like if you're as if you're a lean team like like here at troops like where our marketing team's like three and a half four people depending who you ask like you know it's it's definitely just like hey this person's a fan of us you know and i'm just like okay i'll go vet them out and see if it makes sense to partner with them or are we already giving them concessions because that way i can just like maybe i'm not going to formalize the relationship i'm just going to schmooze and build rapport with the person and just keep them as a fan you know Mm. um because that way I don't have to pay them more if they're already doing what I would pay them to do. Yeah. Right. You know, cause there's that other, other side of the corner. I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay them if they're already doing it. There's that. So, um, so maybe people should be able to pick you up on what they talk about on LinkedIn. Um, but, <laughs> but the point being like, it's the smaller you are, I think it's more important to care about how am I going to get these people and how much work and that, and I mean, dollars and time and management of it, does it take? Once you get the people, it's easy. So I always say, like, think of it in terms of like cohorts. Like I can take on five now, get them going. And then once I feel like it's an autopilot, I might go get another five, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I guess on the, um, I've lost my train of thought now, but it was, I think on the, on the point of more on the internal side, um, that that for me and this is something i think about a lot of the time and it's like you've got someone in you know inside your company that's building and i use the example when we spoke before of tom boston yeah um who has built a ridiculous audience um if you you know if you're in the uk particularly you know you know his name if you work in sales how how do you approach that as a company and how do you i guess when you've got an individual in the company that's got 50,000 followers on LinkedIn and he's just, you know, an SDR, how do you think companies will 
will incentivize these kind of individuals to stay and how what will they have to do to try and incentivize these individuals to stay yeah i think the concept of of like someone at your first of all when you hire the person like you should i think more companies should start vetting like does this person have a following already does this person yeah have the capability of building one there's also that too especially for early stage company are you talking here just about like marketing and sales folks or literally everyone in the business yeah yeah i'm talking about like i don't care if the person's the janitor i don't care if this wow. person's the person in the, in the coffee shop at the office i don't care if this person's the sdr you know like you should really be like that should be like one of your mm. recommended maybe not required job things but like one of the things that like if you're picking between candidate A and B and they're the same, but B has a following, you pick B. Yeah. You know, I, I like, you know, so, but the catch is, you know, um, for a while, a lot of companies were that they were just using this as just like, a, I'm just going to make sure I keep this person happy and keep them to stay, like just treat them nice. Or I'm going to pick that person over the other candidate. Um, these people are getting myself included are getting keen to that ideology and now we're at going one step further going okay but you're also going to pay me more because now you're not just paying me when you get a job especially when you're w2 like full-time employee like you're they're buying your time they're buying your skills they're buying your your um your your talents and what you know right but yeah. when you're somebody with a following and you have a brand attached to you now they're buying your brand in addition to that so if they're so like if it costs you 50k to hire you know joe schmo who just uses linkedin to get the job and then you're you know you're paying me 50k for the exact same job and let's say me and joe have the exact same skill set and talents and everything the only thing difference is i actually use linkedin to create content and i have a large following and especially if my following is your icp and you still offer me 50k yeah i'm not gonna take the job you're gonna <laughs> have to pay me more yeah. And the, the issue significantly is it's not a little well. bit more, it's a lot. Significantly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you look at my year to date, like my company's average cost per mill on ads is over $60, um, which, is, which is not unheard of, by the way, in B2B SaaS. It's in that 40 to 60 range. You know, if you use Shield, I can tell you I've already generated close to $150,000 in media value at that rate on LinkedIn in my content. And that's just in nine months. So you're buying at least a third or a fourth of that is going to affect you as an employer, right? So if I make $200,000 a year in media value and the base pay for the role is 100K, you owe me at least another 50K because at least a fourth of that brand is going to affect you, at least. Mm. It's crazy you just said that because the amount of people that are building their own audiences not in, I'm not saying they're in the same position as you. You've obviously built a, a big audience at this point. I have a very a, neat audience. I won't say it's big, but it's very- When I say big, it's no, <laughs> known in that, but like known in that space, yeah. big in that space. But there's a yeah, lot of people yeah. that also are big in their own space, but don't, don't yeah. think about it like that. My space all. is small. So yeah. 11, yeah. When you're, when you're, I'm a big fish in a small pond. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but like there's, a, you know, people in cyber who are just, you know- a big pond, that's an ocean. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, people, but, 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 people but people who are you know in that space, whatever space, you know that whatever B two B kind of segment that have got their yeah. own audience that I think massively undervalue how powerful it is and how much of a tool it can be for whatever company they're working at because you know the fact is when they are working at that company they're associated with them when they're posting content yeah. it's all associated to that 
to that company um yeah that's that's there's there's a reason for why i do what i do like i want people mm. to when they think of evan they think of mm. insert company or companies here mm. like it should be synonymous how i i guess let's say though there is there is someone who's you know got an audience and i'm you know let's i know i know you kind of already you've kind of already answered this but if let's say this is someone who is just in a completely random role, right? Completely random role that's got nothing to do with like the marketing and growth sales side of the business. Yeah, like a product that's for sales Broad- people may not be a CSM. Like, yeah. Yeah, like what, what, they're in whatever subset of the business that's just not sales or marketing and they've got a yeah. really big audience. You're basically saying that they should be able to use that as a as a way to basically increase their own, their own value yeah. to their brand. Yeah, I totally think that like the business, the, the employer should find a way to operationalize it. You know, right? It'll vary based off the product and the ICP, right? Like if I'm selling a product and the and the demo, the ICP is RevOps, okay, and and mm-hmm. I happen to have a customer success person that mm-hmm. um, has got a large following in the space and their IC and that person has like a, a portion of their following then maybe like a quarter or less you know of it is my icp also like i might pay them a proportionate more it, so it's going to vary right yeah like, depending on who I'm, you're selling to and yeah yeah yeah, yeah if yeah. i have an in-house if i have a RevOps person at the same company who has a following right you know even if their follower counts the same even if their follower count has the same demographic makeup right like I might be more incentivized to pay them a little bit more to do this than the other person, not because of the person's like worth less as a human, but they're worth less to the company in terms of their brand capital, right? So I've seen two people with 10,000 followers each, and the difference is their job titles at their company is mm-hmm. really the difference, the deciding factor. It mm-hmm. can also be the makeup of their follower count. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now on the other direction though, I'm always telling people like, especially after you've gotten to a point where this is a factor for you. Like I, I got big on LinkedIn while I was working at a company that really couldn't operationalize me at all because my following wasn't their ICP in the slightest bit. So um, when I got another job after that and every job since I'm, I started considering this as a, as like an employer vetting process, right? Like, not only do I like their ICP and I like their products and the usual questions anyone in sales or marketing should be asking themselves when, when deciding on a job, I was also asking, does my follower like this company? Do my followers even care about this product, right? Because in my opinion, working at Troops is no different than a brand deal at another company um, at, at a high level, right? It, it still has to be on brand for me to work at Troops. Um, Regard the, the job's completely different, right? The job is way more robust, you know, but one of the factors is the same, you know, checklist that any brain deal I have has to go through. How did you just out, out of out of curiosity, why why did you start building your own? Like what made you think when LinkedIn wasn't the thing to do, right? When it wasn't like the thing to build your own profile and build your personal brand. Like why what made you decide to go and, you know, build your brand, build your own personal brand and start posting on LinkedIn? And why why do you think you've had success building in that like niche community of sales? Yeah, it, it kind of all started off when I was a teenager. Um, when I was like, when I was like, when I was a preteen, I used to like play a lot of video games on like virtual worlds and MMORPGs. And mm-hmm. we're talking like anything World of Warcraft-esque and also Second Life-esque too. And I lived in a very small, conservative, racist, homophobic, you name it town. Mm. So 
the, the internet was the only way I made any friends. Um, I had very progressive liberal parents. So, so my home life was, wasn't bad. It was, it was outside of home. So, um, obviously making friends at school was very difficult, if not impossible at times because of this, um, being a queer kid. So I made friends online. Well, how do you make friends online? You let people know you exist. Mm. So I used to be very active on social media, uh, especially on like the, the forums and the niche platforms. And then I started creating like guilds and websites and stuff. And I used to do like events for these games. And then I started getting paid by these companies. Wow. These things. When was this? Like, I was like 2000 and like 10 ish. Wow. Okay. Like that's... I started getting paid by businesses that operated. Wow. In second, like, that's early. Dollars. That. Um, yeah. At 16, getting paid 50 bucks to tweet something. You, you think you're rich, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I used to do stuff like that. And then when I, went to go work a few jobs later i went and worked in insurance as an insurance agent run of the mill sold auto renters car stuff right and um my training literally was here's a phone book um i've read solo cop there's vodka and soda in the back here's some tissues good luck like that was the training Jesus um, you know yeah. loved my boss she, she was given awful uh, enablement as well yeah yeah, yeah if yeah, you yeah. work for yeah. a small insurance agency what i'm saying is not out of the yeah, ordinary yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I made it work, but I wasn't enjoying myself and I found it very frustrating. And I just kind of thought like, well, what am I already good at? Let me stop reinventing the wheel here for a minute. I was like, well, I'm really good at making friends. And this product is about as personal as it's going to get. I'm trying, I'm selling you something that's going to change your life, quite literally. So therefore, shouldn't I just try to make just a lot of friends at scale? So I started, I created Facebook pages. I started going to networking events. I started creating like channels of referrals through like mortgage agents and real estate agents and stuff, right? So um, I was like, well, why I, I can go outbound in the sense that I just created my own inbound. Yeah. You know? So that's where I, it started to make sense to me. So when I, and I've always consumed YouTube a lot, you know, being like borderline Gen Z here. So I saw what these B2C people were doing and I was in B2C. I was just on something slightly less glamorous. So my goal was always like, let me make sure it's kind of sexy or entertaining, you know? So when I got to the B2B world, I was like, well, that worked for me. Why not do it here? Because at the mm. end of the day, I'm just a human being selling out the people. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. we still buy it with emotion, you know, B2B is a little more complicated, but at the end of the day, you're still buying with emotion. So um, I just picked up the strategy and carried it. Um, and my, and I just, you know, firm believer, go where your, go where your prospects are. You know, when I was in, when I was in video games, it was on the forums. And when I was in insurance, it was on Facebook and networking events. And when I was in B2B, it was LinkedIn. And that's why that's, that's, that's the why it was just, it just mm. made sense. It started mm. as a preteen, but it made sense. <laughs> what was the, what was the first like B2B? brand deal or like you know deal with a brand where you were being paid for promoting them um i did some like refer like a, it was more like an influencer slash affiliate marketing um um for like a consulting firm i did that um it's for sales consulting this is back in my insurance days got it okay. um they, they were a like a kind of like a str nation or like a trainio but for sales insurance agents you know for first cycle insurance agents insurance is heavily underemployed and I was below way below the average age of an insurance agent because it was like one of those jobs like people forgot to tell millennials exist you know um, like <laughs> it pays really well by the way if you're concerned in a career field like I don't like to work in insurance anymore but it was still a great industry to work in actually you make a ton yeah. of money um but the the 
I remember like they were trying to teach 20 somethings and teenagers also in high school, like this is a viable career path with little competition. You'll make a ton of money doing it and you don't need really much formal education. You just get the license and usually you get trained on the job and insurance is very artistic actually. It's, it's not as black and white as people think. So I loved that about that because they were basically telling me what I wish I knew. So they were like, we would love for you, like when you go to this networking event, we'll pay you just to wear like the shirt that has our logo on it. Right, okay. We'll pay you to like post on Facebook, like on your page, like, and like have it like sponsored by this or whatever. Uh, My business cards, I got forced to like put their logo on it too. Wow, right, Uh, okay. And then I got paid, like, I got a flat rate for that, but then they also got, like, a spiff every time they got a new, like, gig or student or something at their program. How, I guess, from there then, and, like, now with what you're doing on LinkedIn and the promotion, you know, when you partner with brands, what does, like, a, what does a typical partnership look like now? I know you're with troops, but, like, you know, say a brand approaches you, what, what does that normally look like? I'm just, I'm trying to, I know there'll be people listening right now that are maybe even two years ago or a few years yeah. ago when you were kind of getting into this world of like doing brand yeah, two years ago i wasn't big on linkedin i was just merely logging in and <laughs> <laughs> same but yeah. there'll, be, there'll be people listening you know that are, that are kind of in that early position where they're getting to that point where they're you know they they, they could have those kind of brand partnership opportunities what does the yeah. process look like for you and what i guess advice would you give to those individuals yeah, so um, don't wait for it to come to you. It's totally okay to ask if you can do these things with them. Like, hey, I love your product. We've been, I've been a fan of yours online all the time. Like, you know this, we know this. This is not new information. Like, how would you feel about like a trade-off here where I you pay me X amount of dollars and I'll post once a month and I'll be sure to comment and like your content at mm-hmm. least three or four times a week. You know, like offer us, think about what you're already doing. And then this like offer like an extra 50 something percent in terms of activity. So like if you're already commenting on their stuff once or twice a week, offer three to four, you know, Uh, if you're already posting once a month, offer once every couple of weeks, you know, and also just the simple fact that you're trying to operationalize it um will help and then you can go that extra mile and go and oh just by the way you already know or you, if in case you don't my followers are like most of them are insert job title here so show that you understand their icp because if there's if they're foreign to this concept you know that'll lower their concerns like they'll know that they're getting roi if you think about the fact that the average cpm is like 50 60 dollars you know in in linkedin ads and you're asking for close to like 20 30 dollars per cpm like and you're talking about deals in the several thousands range on the low end typically like they they would have to pay you for a full year like in, if you're a newbie before mm. they lose any money so if you're new like start low but like you can go up quick like i used to start at 50 bucks now i'm like several hundreds wow okay yeah no that that, that makes sense it's start low start with kind of have those key I have those key partnerships first and then like you said build up build up from that there's also nothing wrong with like asking 20 people that you know that you don't want to do this with like hypothetically mm. if you paid me to post for your audience to generate traffic what would you pay me just asking 20 people i literally just mm. did this today actually wow like, you just asked every, every yeah. once in a while it's really good just to get another opinion of like hypothetically if you wanted me to do x what would you pay me yeah 
simple as that. One, yeah. with, with the actual posts that you're doing, so like brand approaches you just to get really tactical, like yeah. what does that post look like? What does that like? What does the typical like brand promotion post look like? Is it literally just, hey guys, here's the, what this company is doing? How it do depends you... on the style of the person. Mm. Yeah. Like yeah. for me, like brands come to me knowing that, like, yeah. And I mean, for you, for you, particular, for you, yeah, for, for you, for, for you, what, 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 yeah. Is it like they you... don't hand me a template. They're like, we want to make sure you say at least a couple of these like talking points. Like, mm-hmm. I have a lot of freedom of how I phrase it. You know, it's this is get to the gist of the point, really. And like, make, tag the company in the post and they want you to like tag you at least once in the comment they'll tell me if they want the link in the post or in the comments mm. or both sometimes they'll tell me they don't care you know there might be an image they want me to use there might be a poll they want me to use there might be like they'll give me like a rubric of like mm. these are our must-haves that have to be this way yeah these are our must-haves feel free to do them any way you want you know and then like you kind of fill in the gap so it's kind of like they're giving you 50% of what the post is. And then like, I just fill in the rest, you know, rep view, they, rep view does influencer marketing as a business, you know, and it's been working very well for them. Um, you know, Darren will tell you like they, they kind of double dip, they get the inbound traffic, but they can also go after the people in the comments and the reaction sections outbound to book meetings of those people. So in B2B, there's like, there's two opportunities. Actually, yeah. that's one. Um, and he usually would just like what we did was like just he's like well what could what could we write about on your post that could segue and make sense of rep view and i was like well there's a sales tech sales tech like tech stack like i care about tech stack as an sdr or bdr or ae as anyone should right so rep view helps with salespeople like knowing what the tech stack is going to be like so i just talked about a story where i wish i knew more about tech stacks and how i wish rep view existed Right. So like, it, obviously, then the second one was like DEI, like as a queer man, like I care about whether or not it's going to be a great place to work. Mm, and course, sometimes yeah. it's hard to get an inside view of the company. And I wish, you know, it was less gray area, like glass door. I wish it was more like scientific, like it is on RepView. So I yeah. posted about how I wish RepView existed when I wow. was younger or newer, okay. right. In the yeah. context of DEI. So yeah. usually it's just like, you just brainstorm with them about like, what what like what about your brand is in alignment with their brand and then how do i connect the dots got it got it are you doing any i've i've been following if i've got a, i've got a podcast with their i think head of marketing like in two weeks um a company called scratchpad they're like uh yes, I'm, I'm, they're a, yeah they're a competitor of truth <laughs> how's it going uh, but they they do a podcast with uh, a series their ceo and corporate bro which everyone in sales knows yeah yeah um, very aware it's like that's yeah. like not knowing share yes, yeah yeah it's like 101 <laughs> um yeah. but they do it they've done a series where like almost ross is almost like the face of the podcast with their ceo have you done any anything like that where it's not not just like a one-time thing but more of a like series based or like you know joint when project. i was at sdr nation it, like there's a few people that became synonymous of sdr nation like sarah brazier you know myself megan yeah. suckling monica McIlroy, courtney spencer like there was a few names that like at least in the u.s were synonymous with sdr nation right and we got paid in our own forms there each you know um you know and then there whether it was through brain capital or dollars or affiliates or flat rates you know um, and then as a 
you know, when it comes to um, the, like other brands that I've seen doing this, like Rev Genius, like Tom Slocum, like he's actually a full-time employee of Rev Genius now, you know, but oh, yeah. like best believe that like, that's part of what they're buying mm. is his presence on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. So I'm not going to pay him like a, a different pay structure because of that, but that was mm-hmm. definitely a factor, you know, mm. as to why they picked him, you know? So um, I've done stuff like that uh, with other brands, like more and more, like my goal right now with Trainio, as I recently partnered with them, I'm an advisor. I help with their branding. I'm helping with creating their social selling curriculum, but also part of the job description is to make my name over time synonymous with Trainio. This one's going to be a unique challenge for me because their demographic is actually mostly EMEA based. So um, the goal is for me to build an EMEA presence because um, mm-hmm. I would like to have one and they would like me to have one. Mm-hmm. And then also when they're ready to come over to North America, they can already mooch off my pre-existing one. Well, we've got a few British people listening to this. So it'll be, uh, you've, you've got a bit of an audience there. <laughs> it's like, it's like it's America, Canada, and then UK, like in that order, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, I guess one final thing that I wanted to ask, again, with this, as as this evolves, right, and as more and more Evans of the world and, you know, that and more and more influencers within companies externally start to, this starts to become, I guess, operationalized, like you said, how do you see this, like, changing the way, I guess, how do you see this changing the way that sales works within a business? How, you know, how it's a very, it's a very lofty question, but like how, when you have got five brand influencers that are, you know, have all got 50,000 followers on LinkedIn, which I don't think will be, you know, I think that's very possible for a lot of companies in five years from now. Um, yeah. Like how, how does that change how sales works, marketing works, right? When you've got people that are driving, you know, 70, 80% of the traffic for some of these companies. They're going to get paid more. That's that's the mm. first thing, you know. Um, mm. Their time's probably going to get more wisely spent too because they're going to spend less time going outbound, you know. Um, they're going to have a lot more of their own inbound traffic and mm-hmm. or they're spending less time going outbound, not because they have more inbound traffic, but because the outbound takes less work, right? Like if, you know, Tom will tell you, he's a very savvy, Tom Slocum at Revenues, he's a very savvy cold caller, right? He can cold call somebody and they'll recognize his name once in a while, right? Yeah. Right. So like, mm. can you imagine how much easier cold outbound Oh God, yeah. When it's... it's when it's not cold anymore, like it can't even, you can't even make it cold if you want it to be. It's like completely different. Yeah. yeah. So I think like it'll be very important for like if I'm having a brand new startup and I just got my VC round and I'm about to hire my first five AEs, right? Like best believe I'm going to try to find five AEs that have a following that's the ICP of my startup because that way when they do go outbound, th- they can just call the people they already kind of know or they don't know, but they know of them. Do you, do you think this almost... Do you think this almost eliminates like what you think of the traditional, what most companies, 80%, 90% of companies still have as like the traditional SDR that doesn't really have an audience that is just kind of filling that traditional sales role? Do you think, you know, that that will happen for more than a few companies? I think it will just change the structure of the roles. I think I've always believed that the best SDRs and BDRs are marketing first, sales second. Mm, um you know, it's ironic i've been on a lot of sales podcasts and stuff i've never really referred to myself as a sales professional 
I've always, I've always, my resume even says, my LinkedIn says it, I'm a top of funnel professional. I don't consider myself a sales professional because I hate closing. I, I actually quite literally suck at it, to be quite honest. Um, so I, I remember being insurance going, I wish I could get paid just to give quotes because after <laughs> that, I did not care, you yeah. know? So, so I, I think it, it, what, what I'm saying stems from a passion, but I think it's going to quickly stem from a fact of reality because I even just had somebody recently comment going, well, my top performing SDRs are booking 15, 20 millions a month. And they, then they all dial the most, the ones that are top performing. I'm like, really? Cause I did no dials and I was booking 40 and we had the same ICP. So let's talk about how like, okay, just because your top performing SDRs are calling the most, do you have any SDRs that are social selling with strong personal brands? Oh no. Okay. Then you don't know then. Yeah. And, and that's the, I think that's the problem yeah. we've got right now is that there's a lot of companies looking at the, like the social selling model who have never done it across the entire company, like properly actual social selling. And that's why I've been able to make money as an advisor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they've got, but they've got like no benchmark for what it actually is. So there's a lot of people that just throw it in the bin. Yeah. A lot of them think it's just spamming DMs. A lot of them yeah. think it's just creating content. Yeah. A lot of them like personal branding and social selling and influencer marketing and affiliate marketing. Those are four buckets that are not synonymous in the slightest bit, but these antiquated, and I mean that word literally, I hate using the word legacy because it's, it's like sugarcoating it. No, you're antiquated. You're out of date. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> you're, like these antiquated businesses they think they're synonymous and they're not. And that's why they get them wrong. It, they're yeah. symbiotic. Mm. They're not synonymous. Like you need all of them. It's like you need a car, you need a driver's license and you need gas and a road to do it on. You also need to know how to do it. Like, you know what I mean? There's all these different pieces that need to be put together. But then they go, oh, we want social sellers. And then when you go, well, what do you mean by social selling? They go, well, we want you to create this money post. Mike. So you want people, personal brands and content creators. You don't want social sellers. There's a difference. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm. So I guess, you know, you being the advisor to a lot of companies on this exact topic, what is like your, I guess, I, I guess rather than your key, your kind of key to success or your, what, what's one thing you would say to someone not to do when building out a, a kind of social selling, whatever, you know, audience building program and trying to get people within the company externally to build their own profiles. Don't feel like you have to pretend to be anything that you're not. Like everything I post is 100% authentic. Even my brain deals. I'm, I'm not going to partner. I don't care if they're paying me $10,000. Nobody's ever offered me that much for a brain deal. <laughs> but like, if you'd want to go ahead. <laughs> yeah. but, like, but like the, the point being, you know, I would never dare partner with something that was off brand for me. Um, even if like, dude, I like your product, but like, I don't see how this would make sense in my brand. I don't see why my followers would give a shit. Right. Like if I started randomly posting about my, like I, I massive nerd when it comes to like video games and stuff, but I don't talk about it a lot. So if I just randomly started selling Oculus would, Rift on my, like, sense. Yeah. or Xbox, right. Yeah. Like it, even if it's true, it might not make sense. So being authentic doesn't necessarily mean like tell me everything about you, you know, tell me a lot, like tell me about your personal life and stuff, but like pick your niches, like pick, pick, pick your topics. Um, that's the first thing I see people like screw up on is they want to have, they want to be everywhere where they can't, you can't be everywhere all at once. 
pick pick more than one platform don't pick just one but don't pick every platform yeah trust yeah. me try it you can't do it no um, yeah. and then the other the last thing would just be like you know just don't lie don't fabricate things like like be willing to show when you suck at something be willing to show when you're great at something like be like show me the trials and tribulations because quite honestly when I ask people because I want feedback on my content all the time and I ask them like what do you like about my content and they go I can hear your voice when I read it and I can tell it's truly something that you give a shit about and we're talking about complete strangers all the way up to my best friends if, yeah. if I'm getting the same response from all then you're categories, doing right. then yeah. I'm doing something right. Yeah. It's not always about the numbers. The numbers mm-hmm. will be a byproduct mm-hmm. of this. Focus yeah. on the art first. The, the numbers will come later. 100% agree. And look, I, I could probably talk to you about this all day, um, but I realize you've probably got stuff to do. So <laughs> um... Allegedly. But no, I, I've, I really appreciate you coming on. I know you probably get asked to do these things all the time. So uh, I honestly, I really appreciate you coming on because I think we've had like an influencer masterclass today. So uh, yeah. I really <laughs> I'm glad pre- I could glad I can help out with it. I think I, 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 I say yes, because to our point a moment ago, it was on brand. That's why I do get hit up a lot, but I don't mm-hmm. say yes to all of them. Mm. Well, look, I, I like I said, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and I'm sure the audience will take a lot from a lot from the conversation. So yeah, appreciate you coming on. So as always, guys, I hope you've enjoyed the episode and I will see you in the next one of the How We Make Content podcast. See ya.